So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, everyone. Archie, Toby, and Leo bringing you another episode of Running Rugby Podcast. As always, a uh, lot to talk about this weekend. We had our final games of the International June Series. A um, bit of heartbreak for us in Australia, going down, losing the Lansdowne Club to Ireland. And look, let's just start it. Let's get into it, boys. Um, Australia losing 20 to 16. We had our chances to win. Look, some decisions didn't go our way. How could we have played better or played around the ref and how could we have come away with a win from this? Arch, I think we just needed to capitalise on our opportunities and cut out probably the penalties again from our game. We we were leading that penalty count 14 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see with this referee that he wasn't quite on his game. and I, I think that... You know, we needed to recognise that and take it into our own own hands and not give away silly penalties. So, you know, there were some unlucky things in there, like with Tolu Latu being penalised in the last couple of minutes there for a, a clear pilfer. Um, so, in some ways, I think we kind of threw everything at them in that last 20, 25 minutes, but it wasn't enough. We just really needed to to start well. And in that first half, we really didn't bring our A game. Yeah, I don't know if we... I don't think we even started throwing everything at them that early. I think it probably took longer to really, really have a go. And we looked, like, way, way more determined in attack in that last few uh, phases, particularly after they were kicked out four points ahead. And it's that, that intensity... I didn't see that intensity uh, build to that point any earlier. I, I really wanted that to be the sort of motivating, Let's let's get this... You know, out beyond a try. Let's not just hang out, hang on by two, three points if we can get there. Um, generally, in the game, like the set piece was pretty good. We didn't lose any scrums. We actually stole one of their lineouts. We did a lot of things at a sort of a basics level fairly well. I, my my biggest gripe is still the general kicking. So both kicking for territory and kicking in attack, I think there's too much. But also, it's not of high quality. And if it's not good quality, it's not really worth doing. Um, we had twice as many kicks as the Irish, and we we had 51% of the possession by the end of the game. So we had we did have plenty of possession, and just kicking it away that much didn't feel like it was achieving anything. It did feel a little bit like we were falling into that habit of playing Ireland's game in the first half, at least. Um, we sort of weren't quite playing as expansive as we can. Uh, we were playing a little bit tighter, a little bit slower, and it was more just about trading penalties, which Ireland and Johnny Sexton, Conor Murray are happy to do all day, and Ireland's totally happy to have that sort of slow ball. They had a bit of changes in their sort of back line and their um, back row, which made their team probably a little bit um, more one-dimensional, a bit less expansive, bringing people like Bundy in losing their sort of seven and putting Omani in at seven as well. Yeah, and that, that should have been our our biggest opportunity is, is bashing the ball up through the centres and and if we think their wingers were slightly better than their centres, like I think there was more danger in them. We just keep, keep containing the ball in their attack to the centres and then it does come down to discipline. And I don't know how much you can do when the ref's making the wrong call. Like... Tolu Latu wouldn't have done anything different because he did everything perfectly. Yeah. Um, even knowing the refs making bad calls, and, and you can't stop competing. And I mean, that's saying the Irish did well. Is they they com- they were competitive at almost every ruck. So in attack, they were they were clearing really well, and in defence, they were always in there hassling, at least slowing it down. Um, I think there's definitely more calls could have gone to both sides for, but particularly Australia for for slowing the ball down in the ruck, but. That just would have been more penalties, and there was already a fair few penalties called. So, yeah, probably and I, the wrong ones. I, I think we shouldn't harp too too much on the referee's performance, but he was very poor, 
And there were three clear instances where I think, you know, the calls went against us, particularly the first one with Israel Folau. He clearly got to that ball. He had a really good chance of getting the ball. Um, and they didn't have a problem with that. It was when he actually put or he glanced he, against. He had a hand on the Irish guy it was as a he very, went down. Like it was just more a of hand. a glance. Yeah, it was a glanced hand against the body. And that was, you know, deemed to actually have taken the and pushed this guy down, pushed Moami down. And that happened three times in a row. That happened three kickoffs in a row. And the third one got the yellow. Um, and each time, I think Falau shouldn't have been penalised in any form. And the first two were fine. I mean, Moni fell on his head twice before that. Mm. He didn't stay down, but yeah. well, you watched, the exact you watched same their thing lift was them. happening. You watched yeah, their CJ lift Yeah, CJ Standard lifted the guy way out from his body, and he just basically started appealing for the penalty as Falau made contact. So he pretty much dropped his guy. Yeah, exactly. And control you, that yeah. at all. And you can see, you can think of instances, it is partly that person's ability to keep his player in the air safe. I, I can recall, yeah, looking back in Super Rugby, you can think about um, the beast Matawira for the Sharks lifting up a player for a kickoff, and the player's almost flipped over the back of his head, but the beast has held him up, held him stable, and managed to stop him falling because he keeps hold of him. And that's mm. not what mm. CJ Stander was doing. Um, but just to cl- clarify, like... Flau got that yellow card, but he's also now been cited for another one of the, I think, the second kickoff that he did the same thing as possibly that should have been penalised for something too. So we haven't heard more about yeah. that, but that's going to be going um, investigated more. And that, yeah. like that stuff, all this, all this June test series officiating has been way too much of a conversation point, like in all in all the games, and it's whether it's rules that they're refereeing to the word of the law, which means the law is stupid. Or just the, the interpretations and the variations. Without a little bit of common between. sense or something. Yeah, it's just it's just all lacking something. It's it's a lot of decisions don't feel um, equitable to what's happened on the field. Mm. They're either too soft or way too way too harsh, and it just kills and, games. Yeah, I think we saw this as well with the start of Super Rugby this year when they went a bit overboard with giving out cards and and making some strange rulings on plays. And that kind of softened as the season wore on. Um, and maybe we're seeing the same thing happen here in internationals. But I think France has had a terrible time of it over in New Zealand. Um, in all three games, they've had some bad decisions go against them. And I think really some of the things that um, where there's been a bit of a breakdown of communication between the TMO and, um, and the actual referee, a lot of the time... You know, you'd think that video referee would have a bit more, you know, less pressure on them, a bit more time to look at things and be making the correct decision. But I feel like Doesn't seem together like they haven't, yeah, they haven't been able to come up with mm. the right result in in most instances. So that needs to be looked at. Um, and these referees that have poor performances, I think, have to be reprimanded. They they should be, you know, sitting out of, of internationals for a certain period if they if they don't do their job properly because we can't afford to having games back-to-back coming down to bad decisions. Uh, that last one for the Wallabies where there was a hand on the ball, clearly that deviated. I know that they said that there wasn't enough evidence and you've got to almost respect that a little bit because it wasn't completely obvious. But from that one camera angle that I think we saw at the beginning of the replays, it looked like it moved a fair bit. So I feel like... They should have probably erred on the side of caution and given at least a penalty to the Wallabies. It wasn't to be, but as I said before, I don't think we can just yeah, complain you can't too much about that. these things and say that we would have won the game if that mm. had been a penalty because quite clearly Ireland has some of the best defense in the world and they might have kept us out regardless. Yeah, and I mean, we're talking about obviously the decisions that went against the Wallabies. I think on both sides, the referee had a bit of a poor performance and that's with the TMO as well. I don't feel like um, Stockdale should have got that yellow card in the first half. I think there was no intent in um, that elbow sort of slipping up and hitting sort of Phipps in the throat. It's the first time, I think it's the second time I've actually ever seen uh, the attacking player penalised for sort of putting an arm up. Um, but the last one was sort of a Bismarck Duplessis for South Africa a few years ago and he got red carded because he literally looks like he's trying to take the other guy's head off. I think he would have been yeah. fine for a penalty. I think both of them, if you want to go that way, would have, should, could have been a penalty. 
but yellow card not so much. But let's let's yeah. let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about what we liked from what we saw for the Wallabies. What this means going forward. We have a few weeks now getting back into Super Rugby, but got to have some eyes on that sort of um, rugby championship coming up in a few months. Yeah, and I thought there was a lot to like in this series. I think that we've come a fair way into building our depth in a lot of different positions. He had some real standout guys like Tong and Thor coming onto the scene and really asserting himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just our general combinations are working quite well, and we look to have quite a settled team which I think is really going to help coming into next year. And I think Checker's probably made it very clear that he doesn't want to bring in too many fresh faces anymore. He wants to build around this this group of guys and, and make sure that they're really comfortable playing with each other and they have plenty of time together um, across the course of this year. So I think that's really encouraging. Um, and I was talking about it with you boys before that I think at most positions we have a fair bit of depth now. Um, and even guys like Pete Summer coming in and, and really having some good performances, I think, just shows that we're we're picking the right guys at the right time. In previous years, we actually have probably struggled to do that. So plenty to like, um, and I think we'll continue to get better. Of course, we saw a bit more of um, Pete Summer this week because Hooper looks like he's done a hamstring. Um, still waiting for clarification how bad he has done that and how long they expect him to be out for. But yeah, saw some good things from Summer. Yeah, he was he was uh, handy without being super visible. Like whatever he was doing, he was when he was involved, he was good. He wasn't making big errors. Um, seems like Tui is is holding that sixth spot um, in Checker's mind. The way some of the comments that are floating around, he seems pretty positive um, about his future. And then I still I still think there's room for someone like a Jake Gordon, like Joe Powell. Didn't really add much to this week's game, and I think we really wanted a different type of halfback who was a more bit more assertive, and um, that that's the Will Genia element that I think was missing. And if we're going to have, you, you might have a halfback whose style you prefer as your starter. Do you want on the bench like a counter to that? Someone who's a, like Phipps is a pretty good defender. He was good in this game too. Um, but his service just isn't quite the same. You don't get the same forward momentum out of him. Should we, since we started with Phipps, had Gordon as a as a change it up, not just more of the same from Powell? Because um, that, that, that's something I look at, and I think we've missed an opportunity to bring in Jake Gordon there rather than Powell. Powell sniped the wrong way and threw a few passes to ankles and mm, just yeah, wasn't... Seemed wasn't, a little bit of a liability. Energetic yeah. in attack, like... In, yeah, he just looks a bit distressed when he's out on the field. Like, doesn't look like he's comfortable. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think we're missing something there. It's interesting though, because Checker in the press conference after actually said that he thought Joe Power had a good game, and and had some good addition, a uh, good kind of plays there that he kind of was involved in. I don't, I didn't see it that way, Arch. I mm. like thought like you, he threw a couple of bad passes at key times that really put the pressure back on the Wallabies and and just ruined their attack. So. Um, I think it was just a mistake not selecting um, Gordon in the in the initial squad because if he had been there, he would have come straight onto the bench, no question. It was just, I think, the fact that Joe Powell's been in the system for longer and he, they didn't really have enough time to get Gordon maybe up to speed and comfortable with, with everything that was going on in that setup. Um, but, yeah, I think that could change going forward into the rugby championship. It, it's still good, though, that we have at least, say, four guys that we're we're pretty happy with. Um, that's that that is a good thing though with that we have that depth like I talked about before. Yeah, and probably the one one position we don't have depth in is probably ten still, and I'd still worry because I don't think Bernard had a particularly good series. I think from the boot he was reasonable, but in general play he still he wasn't as sort of potent an attacking threat as I've seen him in previous years. Um, he had sort of flashes of it, but I was still wanting a little bit more from him. I think Kurtley definitely outshot him in every game. I agree, and I reckon that's from the forward momentum. I just don't think I don't think we ever built if there wasn't there wasn't a ten minute period uh, aside from maybe in the first test where we built a platform moving forward, drew the Irish defence in, and you know we're going for something a bit more expansive or a, potentially an attacking kick. 
um, with the forward momentum. We, we were always sort of struggling because we only went two or three phases and then we were looking for these moves and we hadn't we hadn't built that momentum. So a guy like Foley has no space to, to, to do anything. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. that's probably impacting on him. And I mean, again, when we get the Waratahs back this week, we'll see what they do if they decide to hold the ball a bit more, get a roll on, and then suddenly the fly half, everyone's moving forward and he's got heaps of room to do his, do his work. Might be a bit different. Yeah, I think he is very different depending on the, the platform the forward set for him, but that's probably consistent with a lot of different fly halves. Bernard Foley has pretty high standards to live up to. He, he seems to be pretty consistent across most series, and, yeah, maybe he was a bit quiet in this one. Um, but Kirtley is certainly in fine form, and I think that probably – I think their interplay still is very, very good, um, but Kirtley had more of an impact on these games. It would be interesting, though, against you know certain opposition with probably – more penetrable defensive structures like Ireland had pretty pretty perfect mm. defense. They might actually be the best in the world at the moment. So I think Foley has the ability to break the line and take take on the line himself and and have an impact that way. But against Ireland, he just really didn't have um, that effect on the game. So I don't think there's any question that we we should be moving away from a, a Foley Beal combination there at ten and twelve. But you're right, Arch. I think if you know, if, if Foley went down and you had to move Bill into 10, would it be a case that you go back to Karevi at 12 and Karendrani Yeah, does that change your structure to yeah, two more sort of exactly, ball pairing? Exactly, exactly. Does that kind of take away all this momentum that you've been building around two different playmakers or two two pivots within that, that back line? Because at the moment, our back line is, I think, one of the best in the world when we have clean ball. Um, we're so potent. Someone like... DHP was very, very impressive again in this game, just with his footwork. He's just such a smart footballer. Um, and I think in com- combination with Corobetti's hard running and Falau in the air and just general play, um, that's a really great back three I think we should be sticking with. Um, mm. It's still, I think, Karevi is the only question mark there in that back line. We, we saw a bit more from Karevi this week. We, he's had a few more runs where he's breaking tackles and actually looked like he was setting up a few things. Um, it was yeah the last 20 minutes yeah yeah he sort of stood up a little bit more and we saw what we could have as a 13 with him in in that jersey I don't know really if yeah like you said I don't know if there's anything really you would want to change Uh, it's interesting to see think what our ideal back row setup still is I'm still a little bit unclear whether whether the pooper is exactly the way to go, whether it does leave us a little bit vulnerable in places. Uh, we definitely managed to um, show how effective it could be in that first test. But then did we lose something from having not another sort of big man, another big sort of ball carrier there in these last two? We talked about this extensively. We talked a lot, a lot about, uh, about a lot of stuff after the game on, on Saturday night. We hung around in the stadium for almost an hour and a half yeah. just talking about more stuff. And one point I made is now that Hooper's injured, like we, we didn't know what had happened. So if it's a hamstring, it's probably not too bad. We weren't sure if it was a knee injury and thought if he's out ex- for an extensive period of time, um, what what happens? And I think the team you end up picking is probably more, compares better to other international teams. Yeah, more typical in terms sort of, of that growth. Yeah, yeah. You, like having Hooper... What what is he like? He is a he's a really uh, busy forward. He doesn't inject himself in the rucks as much, but he's he's sort of quite a busy defender. So he's probably making quite a few tackles. Mm. Um, he he does bring a lot of energy with the ball, but he's not actually big enough to get like to to bust through most forwards on the other team. So you really he's really like a a quick loose forward supporting the backs. Now, does the do the Wallabies need an extra quick guy supporting the backs? Because the answer, I don't know. I think the answer to that might be no. And if Hooper wasn't your captain and hadn't um, hadn't been selected and you'd done something differently, would we would we gain in other areas like other skill areas which would be more valuable to us? Does having Hooper as a captain and undroppable actually Set like disadvantages yeah. slightly. Well, what we were saying is Hooper's almost a 
quite an undersized sort of six, really. If he had another sort of half a foot taller, another 10 kilos, he would be like an amazing player. But where he is now, he sort of takes up that seven position because really of his size and he's busy and he's dynamic. But you're right, if he's out, do we do we try and put in a Pete Samu and keep Pocock sort of somewhere else? Or do we move Pocock into seven? We keep someone like, um, we bring back in like Timu into eight and then have Tui or Ned Hannigan at six. And then you suddenly have yeah. sort of two more options line out, another big ball carrier. Is that a better sort of option for us? Because we are yeah. in a situation you... now where we have Hooper as our captain, Hooper goes off, Pocock's our captain. They're, it's not really like you can take one of them out of that starting team if they're there at the moment. If I take Pocock out of the starting team because he's injured or he's on the bench, or say say you put him on the bench and you come he comes on later as a like a seven or a, some sort of utility back row, you, you look at that and you go, oh, I really wish I'd had Pocock's skill set on the field because he's just so dominant in the rucks. He's mm. threatening. He's he's a good ball runner. He's um yeah he's, he controls the scrum and the more well. And that's a lot of like. There's a lot of pluses there to to leave off the field. If that happened to Hooper, if they put Hooper on the bench, what would you be? What would you be unhappy about not having on the field at that point in time? I I. I mean, he's good. He's not a bad player. Like I'm not suggesting he's overrated or anything. But I just don't know the skill set he's got. If it's what we really need, and we might actually have boxed ourselves into a corner by making him the captain. No, I don't see this at all. I think he's one of the top three players selected in the first place in the team. He's one of the best loose forwards in the world. He's a tireless defender. He gets around the field. His work rate's incredible. He you know, never gets injured apart from this circumstance. He hasn't been off in a game, I think, injured for like three years. Um, I can understand you're saying he's not a prototypical number seven, but neither is Artie Sevilla. And really, Artie Sevilla is just a bigger version of Michael Hooper. Um, Michael Hooper does have effective carries. He, he tends to make line breaks more than just going through the biggest forwards in the team and, and penetrating that way. But I definitely think that Hooper and Pocock can work together. Um, I think we haven't seen the best of them this year because they Pocock's been away for a little while. They need to get used to playing again together. Um, but the 2015 World Cup, I think, really showed that it can, it can work well. Um, but they've got to know their roles and they've got to stick to those. At the moment, they're probably, I think, probably Pocock is making Hooper a little bit less noticeable in the game. But that might be just because Hooper's toning down certain areas of your game that he doesn't mm. need to actually, you know, put emphasis on because Pocock's there and he's so good. Well, um, is he emphasizing the wrong things then? Should that change? I don't know if he's being a bit more hesitant or he's, he's just kind of. Maybe he's playing a little bit smarter and you're not seeing a lot of... Maybe he's doing some things behind the scenes that are less noticeable in terms of, you know, getting to those rucks and, and cleaning out more often than being out there carrying the ball. Um, I don't know. I think that this can still work. I think that Tui showed some really good signs at six. I'm not sure you'd be more happy with a back row if it was Tui, Pocock and Timu. Yeah, you know? I'd- so, I think I think it's gonna be interesting if we have to pick a back line, a back row without him. But I think to like to wrap this up, I think like what you're saying is possibly true as well that the, like it can work, but we didn't see it work, so it does actually have to change from what we've just seen in the last couple of games. Something else that between those two guys, it can work, but it wasn't working, which means something needs to change. Which means I think someone needs to be doing something different. I don't know. I think it was still working, but I think it was working at seventy percent of what it could be. Mm. Yeah, so it, something it wasn't, needs to change. It wasn't as effective. Yeah, they need to need, need to, to work out exactly their strategies. Yeah, but that's all right. For me, I, I could not leave one of these guys out of the team at all. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't yeah, so that's I, that's my opinion. I think the the um, thing is that we're look we're looking for bits to improve on, and the fact is that this is almost a pretty ideal team. You can't really be unhappy with a lot of it, and maybe the difference is between now and that twenty fifteen uh, sort of World Cup is that you had um, you had Fadi in there, and it was a very settled sort of back row, and so they all knew their roles. And maybe now, because there has been a bit of change around and move around, it's still taking a little bit of time to settle. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, we have enough physicality in that front five to make up for the fact that we're playing a guy that's slightly smaller 
less of a classical ball carrier, mm. you know, compared to someone like Timmy, who's very abrasive, very dominant as a ball carrier. I think having Hooper there with Pocock and then having Tui, I think that will work in the long term. Um, but Tui has to bring his performances week to week and be consistent too, I think, for that to work. Mm-hmm. Look, let's let's move on and have a look at the other internationals for the weekend. I don't want to dwell too long on a few of these because I want to get in and have a chat about Super Rugby coming back. Uh, but I'll run through them. Argentina lost again. Scotland coming up victors, uh, forty-four to fifteen. And if you look at the, the real Scotland, you look at the stats. Mm. Argentina have only won sort of three or four internationals in the last sort of two and a half years now, and it's been versus sort of a lot of those lower tier nations like Georgia, like Italy and things. And it's it's strange. They're just not sort of picking up. You saw what they did last World Cup and they were dynamic and you wonder if it's just something they just turn on for the World Cup and otherwise just don't seem to really have that momentum or that motivation. And yeah, it's, it's strange. And come back in. Scotland didn't even play their, their best team again. They still don't have guys like Finn Russell in there. Mm-hmm. Um significantly different team to what we saw against the Wallabies and also in the Six Nations. So Argentina should have won this game, I think, at home particularly. They've just not come to the party. After having such good success in Super Rugby, that hasn't translated at all into the international scene, which is which is quite baffling, actually. I don't really know the reasons for that. Yeah. I don't know the reasons for it. They, just look at the stats and some of the scoring. Like It was 36-3 at halftime. So they they conceded five tries before half time. Yeah, Scotland just had a massive like, first half. Yeah, so in second minute, ninth minute, fourteenth minute, twenty first minute. So in the first twenty minutes, basically, they've conceded four tries, and that that to a team that plays so much on emotion and momentum, um, they've also had they missed a few tackles. Well, they've got quite a few handling errors, so things obviously didn't come together early for them, and and they didn't really recover. That's that's a pretty typical behaviour out of the Argentinian side. Mm-hmm. Other games we had, Fiji actually going down to Tonga, 27-19, to 19, which is a little bit sort of good signs, I think, from Tonga because we've seen Fiji be the dominant sort of Pacific Islander nation. Uh, so if we're getting a little bit of resurgence from Tonga, Samoa, that's always good. There are always a little bit of those upset sort of um, dark horse teams in World Cups that can scrape out a win against some of these bigger nations. Squeak out, you might say. Squeak it out. Other games, Japan um, got back on track. 28-0 versus Georgia. Georgia's still not quite um, being able to compete up with some of these sort of more typical rugby nations as Japan now is. Japan. Yeah. Now we'll go to some of the games that you guys probably have a bit more to talk about. New Zealand uh, beating France, clean sweeping the series, 49-14. to uh, France was they were trading tries early. Uh, probably the thing this this week. Look, we had yellow card in the first game, red card in the second game. This game, I think, what really put France a bit on their back heels um, and allowed New Zealand to run away with in the second half was that third try New Zealand scored. Uh, never never seen the ref being used quite as well as a bit of an obstruction for the um, French halfback, but they reviewed it. They. Apparently, just let it slide. Apparently, it's a try. It stands for McKenzie in that sort of 34th minute. Yeah, all I'd say about that one is if they decided to call it back because the ref was in the way, I don't think anyone would have complained. Mm-hmm. But to, again, have like a a bit of a backbreaker emotionally as well, like they put a lot of energy into sort of debating that. The, the players on the field are frustrated because they feel it's unfair and the rules should... I think rules should reflect when when something unfair happens like that. It it should be able to be called back. And I don't know if the ref had that had like really was allowed to. Like he might have felt the rules bound him to not call it back, and that'd be against the rule book. But it just didn't feel fair, and it's it's a pretty um, deflating thing to happen when the French have been doing everything so well and saying like they they would have been able to defend that phase well as as well. So sad for them, but. They're still a team that comes in every game, and they treat it like they're in it. Like they don't. I don't think they come in thinking about their ranking versus their opposition. They're always in the contest. They don't. They don't care if they're playing first or tenth overall in the world. They'll still come up and think they can beat them, and they they play with that heart, which is really good. 
Yeah, look, I was impressed with France again starting off very strongly. Um, they just didn't, they weren't able to hold it together for the whole game. And in the second half, the Kiwis, as they often do, just ran away with this. Um, but France, I think they have some good young players coming through. Even having Fafana back, I know he's a bit mm. of an old head in that midfield, was very good. Is it Teddy Thomas? Their wingers are, are quite outstanding in a lot of ways. And I think that they do have that talent there to build around for the future. And having Below there at, um, at fly half, he's also quite a creative player. Again, some good interplay with their forwards and backs here. And they look they look like a dangerous team when they can hold it together and, and not give away penalties and not drop the ball. They just look really potent. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they stack up against some of the other teams. I know New Zealand's still the best in the world. So if they started strong against a team like Wales, for example, would they be winning this game? I'm, I'm not sure. It's just going to be interesting to see how they progress towards the end of this year. I think they'd be dangerous against the Aussies, to be honest. Um, yeah, like yeah. The way that like the, this is the this is the best team in the in the world, and like they've had a bit of a shake up. You know, McKenzie playing at ten, they've actually you know found found a way to work him in this week versus previous week, which wasn't so strong. Uh, but they had planned for this week, so that makes a difference. But France are yeah, they're always competitive. They always lift for the All Blacks. They're, they're their upset team, but mm. I just the the fundamentals from them really strong. I'd I'd be concerned about playing a series against France. I would, wouldn't just think yeah, I think, push over. I think they'll they'll continue to really develop strongly and hopefully they can keep some of these guys in the team. I think the biggest problem is with the top 14 that there are so many imports now that probably a lot of these young French guys don't get as big a chance as, say, they would in other countries where there's less imports playing. So that's something against probably the French system with all that money flowing around that all these overseas guys come in and, and steal some of the spots. But... Mm. Um, we, we talked New Zealand up. We said this was going to be at least 20-point game, and, you know, they win by 35. Um, what can you say? This New Zealand team, even if they make kind of key changes, they're still, you know, damn good, and they can put on nearly 50 points. Yeah, and you see, like, McKenzie had a double. Rico Iwani showed he's out, just outclasses oh, everyone. So and his fast. Is, yeah, ridiculous so with a hat fast. trick. Um, but yeah, his first try was ridiculous. That acceleration straight through. So, that was um, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they, look, it's good. I mean, I want to be tested against a team like this that is consistently good. Like we had a win against New Zealand the last time we played them, mm. so we can we can do this. Like I think with the guys that we have in the Wallaby squad, we have equally as much talent as New Zealand. We just got to harness that talent and make sure that we're consistent in bringing these guys through at the right time and getting the performances that we deserve out of them because the talent is there for sure. Um, We just need to be in that system, work hard consistently and just make sure we start games strong because against Ireland we didn't. So New Zealand often has the same problem. They they start slowly, but they're so potent once they get going. Um, We need to be consistent throughout the game if we're going to have a chance against New Zealand. Yeah. And that brings us to uh, South Africa, and they had a chance to completely sweep the series, but made a few changes. You know, you had Elton Yangtze's coming at 10, a few other sort of changes through their um, back line. And England also with a few changes, Cipriani coming in at 10. Uh, and England, they pulled it together in this one. 25 to 10, they took a win. And that breaks their losing streak, and that, I don't know, it kind of changes the tone a bit for Eddie Jones in this series. It's interesting. The like both teams brought in more uh, expansive fly halves, more like attacking uh, focused players. So, and then for the for the game, the conditions of this game was really wet and miserable. Like the the field was sodden. Um, there was a little bit of rain during the game, but people were people were slipping over performers before the game. It's one example. Um, the the guys just it didn't really suit the games they probably wanted to to play and, and England were the ones who adapted to the conditions much like a like a Crusaders sort of team. They look around and go, okay, this is this is the hand we're dealt. Let's we've got to modify what we're gonna do. We're gonna to play to this game. And Cipriani injected himself a little bit here and there, but mm. but they just played a really strong territory game. They kept the South Africans pinned down and they kept accumulating. Johnny May was really strong, did a lot of good stuff. He's, he's had a great series. Showed his class. Yeah. yeah, he's really top player. 
Um, he he's someone you feel like a Dane Hale at Petty might compare pretty well to to Johnny May. Might not be quite as quick, but like just very adaptable, very handy. Um, and their fullback as well, whose name I forget. Elliot Daly. Um, yeah, yeah, Daly. That's it. So that, both both really strong and and England just played played the smarter game and South Africa couldn't couldn't keep it together. Yeah. And it, by the time they they probably brought on Andre Pollard too late. They they probably need to bring him in a bit earlier when when they were really struggling to get forward momentum because he he read the game much better and his tactical kicking was a lot better too. Yeah, Yanchi's was pretty disappointing and. I don't think that you'll see much more of him in a Springboks jersey because Pollard has been kind of keeping this team, giving it such good direction, and you see such a difference when he's not there. Mm. Um, I think Jesse Creel took his opportunity at 13 pretty well. Yeah, good try. Um, and their forwards. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a good player, and he could easily be starting, I think, every week instead of uh, Am that was there before. But their forwards, South Africa, still very strong. Um, probably not as good a performance from guys like Vermeulen um, or Khaleesi in this one, but I think they've got a lot of talent in their forward pack um, and they're going to be a real threat in the rugby championship. But England, like you said, Arch, I think Eddie Jones, his fortunes have changed a little bit and this, I think, will give him enough room to probably push through these the, you know, autumn internationals at the end of the year. And then if they have a decent Six Nations, I don't think he'll be any threat of being ousted before the World Cup next year. Um, but we've got to remember, he's got a contract actually with England till 2023. So a very long-term contract that's meant to span through two World Cups. Um, so I think they'll probably maintain you know, their systems with him until next year, just because he's familiar with playing in Japan as well. Um, but yeah, England, you can see one or two performances, they do well and people are a lot more positive about them. I still think Farrell should come in at 10. I don't think Cipriani really would be a long-term option there, but it was good to see someone a bit more expansive there at the 10 role. Yeah, he still managed to spark a few things, especially with that cross-field kick for Johnny May's try. So um, definitely stuff that you probably wouldn't see from George Ford. And let's remember they've got Anthony Watson to come back in, a couple of talented guys, Jack Knoll as well. So that back line is going to be firing if they can get the right combinations in place. And they just, again, need to sort out the balance of their forward pack because I don't think it's quite there yet. So one, one stat for the whole June series across all the Southern Hemisphere teams that I just summed up earlier was just looking at the number of tries scored as a, as a reflection of attacking prowess maybe and, and um, sort of that running-based game that we want to see more of. Now, New Zealand obviously in the lead, 19 tries across three games. Now, that's a, that's a massive number. That's eight by four by seven. So they've got a lot of tries in them. That's no surprise. They're the top in the world. No one would have questioned uh, the fact that they'd had the most. But they're actually the only team in double figures. So the, the, the French scored four against the best team in the world with, with the decision-making they got. Yeah, fair enough. I guess that's probably not so bad. Um, England, South Africa both got eight. But that was five each in the first game where England really blew them out and then South Africa managed to come back. It was a slightly unusual game. Um, after that, it was two and one each. Argentina only put five tries on uh, against two different opponents and Wales put four on in two games and Scotland put six on in one game. Maybe a, maybe a slightly unusual game as well, but um, there you go. Australia scored five tries in three games. The Irish scored three tries in three games. Like that's you look at the Northern Hemisphere teams: Ireland three tries, France four tries, England eight tries, Wales and Scotland four and six. Like that's oh, those last two didn't play three games, but that's not a lot of tries. Uh, South Africa eight for us. To, for us to be at five, that doesn't feel. Like when I that's, look at our, the quality of our I'm, team, that that seems low. So to me, that like, that gives me a bit of heart that we've got more in us. Mm. Um, but it also shows like with with good defence, you don't have to score that many tries as long as you can keep them from kicking a lot of penalties. These these don't need to be you know you don't need to score thirty five points to win. You still only need twenty something. Put that together mm. and keep them out, and and you can be winning these games. So. Yeah. Um, we don't need to improve that much, aside from against the All Blacks, to, to be in these games and against any of these opponents. I think we're actually at, say, 30 to 35 point 
uh, you know, a game team. I think we do have a lot of tries in us, and I think that Ireland, that's a real tribute to their defensive systems. That five tries might actually be, you know, equate to maybe eight or nine against another team. So um, New Zealand, far and away the best. Um, but I think, like you said, Leo, there, there's, I think, a lot to be taken away from this these kind of series in terms of our attack because when we were on, we were really, really dangerous. Well, you you flip those stats around and you go, okay, we only scored five tries. But then you go, hang on, we only let in three tries against the world number twos over three games. Mm -hmm. And you think about the All Blacks letting in four tries versus the French, um, South Africa conceding eight tries versus the English. And you think, all right, our defensive structure must be something right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And and we're not really complaining about our defense either. So, Mm. like, that's it, obviously. It feels like it's 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 good. We're not the the thing we worry about is is the discipline and giving away the penalties. But again, we've had some really funny refereeing decisions, which have probably inflated those numbers too. So mm. we we are in a pretty good spot, and we should definitely be positive coming back into Super Rugby and then back into the Rugby Championship. Yeah, the only other game um, points that I'll cover is USA had a good win over Canada, forty-two to seventeen, but that really changes up the world rankings actually. They've been hopping up and down a lot with this series. Uh, you still have New Zealand out in front, but Ireland are pulled out close. They're only uh, three and a half points behind. Uh, Wales solidified in third, and Australia's actually dropped to five with England jumping back up with that win over South Africa. So now your, your top six is New Zealand, Ireland, Wales, England, Australia, South Africa, with Scotland and France behind them, and Argentina all the way down at 10th. So a little bit yeah. of different looking that and definitely not where you really want Australia or South Africa. Where's Where's USA in all this? Because they've had three good wins in a row. Yeah, and the way it's still points quite far down, or yeah, I don't know. I'm just around curious. Fourteen. Uh, the, they, they I've, just got, I've just got the top fourteen here, and they're not on the list for oh, me. So they're not in that. Okay. So lowest, okay. lowest they must is be climbing up there. Direction. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have to have a look through and see where they've actually fallen. <clears throat> USA classic. is 15th. USA oh, okay. 15th. Canada is 22nd. What's Japan now? Yeah. Japan Japan's is 11th. 11th. Just uh, it's good to see. Yeah, it's interesting. So those 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 movements. I haven't seen any of Wales play, so I can't I can't really uh, balance that one in my head at the moment. Like not not to say they're not that good. Just I, I can't really reflect on what makes them better than mm. us. Um. But yeah, it's, for Australia to be fifth, like they'll be very disappointed that we've we've fallen that far. Um, and obviously, a series win would have got us up at least. It would have put us into second if we possibly, yeah. And the second, sure. beating beating the second team in the world, you tend to get more points for yeah. beating stronger opposition. So yeah, opportunity to get up to second, and we we instead we get one win, and we we're down to fifth. There's a bit of a road for for climbing those rankings again. I guess that's. That's the job in the rugby championship in November. Round 17. All right, let's hop back into our super rugby mode. And it's been a few weeks now, so few teams would have been disrupted with international duties, but few teams would have tried to solidify and get a lot of those core players sort of playing together. Uh, Friday night, we've got starting off in Eden Park, the Blues taking on the Reds. So, yeah, the Reds have had a lot of guys involved with the Wallabies. Um, which will be good experience, but means they're probably not going to be as fresh as um, the Blues have only had two, oh, yeah, a handful of guys. Yeah, yeah. two and a fussy, Sunny Bill, Rico, um, yeah. Rico. Yeah, not too yeah, many so, of them. So if you if you sort of keep an eye out on the movements of these guys in the sort of this this break period, like they've all, a lot of them have been hanging out together, and um, I think the Reds. The Reds have a lot of strong players who didn't make the Wallabies for various reasons. Um, so they've still got a good core there. Are they ready to win against New Zealand opposition away from home? Probably still a pretty big call, particularly since the Blues, I think, are pretty healthy at the moment. As long as they get their, you know, Ioani out out wide and Sonny Bill in the middle, Augustine Pulu still in the, in the halfback playing strongly. I, I think I'm probably expecting the Blues to tip the Reds in this one. 
But um, look, the, I tipped the Blues against the Rebels, and they they proved me wrong too. So a fresh a fresh Reds who've been thinking about this game for a few extra weeks and really um, dissecting the Blues type of play. We, it should be a good game. Yeah, I think Brad Thorne would really be training these guys hard that remain at the Reds through this international window. But like you say, Leo, the Blues have been improving of late and they, they have got a lot of those key guys back from injury. So I think this will be a very close game. I probably would as well tip the Blues, but I'd really like to see the Reds come in front up here and, and be really physical as they like to be. Um, they've got a lot of guys that have would take a lot out of that Wallaby setup, but equally this, this Island series really would have been pretty taxing on some of the key guys as well. So it's going to be going to be a big game. Um, kind of an adjustment to make i think coming back into super rugby three weeks to go until the finals so it's it's kind of these two teams i don't think are going to feature but still be a good game should be a good game some of the reds guys will be pretty travel weary too oh potentially but i mean you've got the back line really for the reds is pretty untouched you've only really had karevi um away and you've had sort of hamish stewart away with these under 20 duties other than that they should have been sort of and and patea and Patea, that's true, that's true. Um, but, look, I think Brad Thorne, you're right, would have been very keen to, you know, take advantage of maybe some laxity from people not thinking about these things, and he would have been training those guys remaining at, at home camp hard. I, I reckon the Reds might get this done in a close one. We've seen what they can do versus, like, the Hurricanes overseas. They seem to not play too badly when they're away from home. And it'd be great to see them win away from home and then they've got two home games to finish against the Rebels and the Sunwolves. So potentially a, a, a opportunity to finish really strong mm. in Super Rugby and while not making the finals, um, a lot of guys hoping to get a look in in the, the tight Wallabies squad too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next game we'll look at is a top of the Australian Conference Clash. Melbourne Rebels taking on the Waratahs. This one down in Melbourne and we saw... It was a game of two halves the first time these teams met. And it's sort of Waratahs trying to get their season back on track, um, but still not quite firing. And there's probably the same story with the Rebels, but they came off, as Leo mentioned earlier, beating the Blues in Eden Park um, just before that break. So a lot of momentum for them. And they've also gone over and beat the beat the force in this June window. Yeah, I think, though, that the Waratahs will have too much class here. As, as long as the guys from the Wallabies come back and are, are fresh enough and fit enough to to play at 100%, our back line here should be, you know, those first three are Wallabies. Then you've got, obviously, Falau, Naira Voro, Cam Clark, and probably Rona there as well. The forward pack, I think, will be a little bit weaker without Hooper. Um, but I think, yeah, overall, I think the Waratahs would still probably get this done by at least 10 points. Yeah, I want to see a Waratahs backline firing and a forwards forwards group rolling over the Rebels. Um, interesting, the Rebels like they they did give over a few players to the Wallabies, but quite a few have just been travelling with and 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 not actually playing. Guys like Maddox and Sether, and they they'll be uh, probably probably feeling pretty amped up to get back into their into their game time. The, wouldn't underestimate the Rebels here, but um, I think close one and maybe Waratahs. Maybe within five. Yeah, I I think a close one as well. Look, I'm going to say the Tars probably do take it, but yeah, I think it's going to be closer than you think, Toby. I'm not sure. Um, I'd give them ten points, sort of leeway there. Next, we'll jump into the Saturday games and first um, New Zealand derby and Highlanders taking on the Chiefs, and this is actually over in Suva, a bit playing their annual game. Uh, in the Pacific Islands. So that'll be good to see. It takes a bit of a different feel to it, um, playing over there. I'm sure the, these players enjoy doing that. Um, but Highlanders versus Chiefs. I've I got to think the Highlanders, even away from home, they should be able to have enough to get this done. They just they have a fairly undisrupted forward pack with only sort of Hemapo and Luke Whitelock. I guess they've also had sort of Squire and Frizzell, Frizzell. sort of around there as well. So, I mean, a few 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 players that are going to be coming back in from that international setup, but I think the Highlanders should have enough class to get this done. Highlanders probably in a similar situation um, to 
say the Crusaders and the Hurricanes in that they have a lot of All Blacks that'll come back in probably more than they used to actually. Um, with guys like Frizzell debuting, um, they've got quite a few guys in the backs as well that'll come back. Um, I think the Highlanders are a better team than the Chiefs overall. I think the Chiefs still struggle a little bit with their injuries, even though they seem to overperform. I think over in Fiji, with their full complement of All Blacks back, I think the Highlanders should be should be getting this one. Yeah, it's an interesting game. The um, At the moment, I think these two teams would be sitting in about fifth and sixth in the yeah fifth and sixth in the in the standings overall so you'll the the difference is by three points to the highlanders so highlanders in in fifth chiefs in sixth and and if you look to who they might be playing depending on where they finish um chiefs can climb over the highlanders into third in their conference and and jump up to that fifth spot which means a match against a weaker side um that that's that's a positive for them if they can do it. Uh, I think the Highlanders are probably still the better one to team one to fifteen. Uh, but it'll be interesting. I guess the Chiefs will continue with uh, McKenzie at ten, and he did look a lot more settled there in that third All Blacks game. So if he can carry that through and get rid of some of that erratic attack that doesn't doesn't build to much, uh, the Chiefs could could step up another gear too. So. Uh, you know, a wealth of wealth of ability and talent for New Zealand rugby continues. Another good game. It's it's funny you talk about them trying to get up a place in sort of the overall standings. Uh, the difference between fifth and sixth, um, fifth place is probably going to be playing the Hurricanes in Wellington um, in the semi in the first round of the playoffs. Versus the sixth is coming to Sydney, most likely to play the Waratahs. So. Make of that what you will, but I don't yeah. know what what is there. Maybe you'd rather be sixth. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, next game we have the Brumbies. They're hosting the Hurricanes coming to town um, down in Canberra. And look, it's one of those things. Is is the pain of the Brumbies season going to continue? They did. They did have a couple of games to turn it around towards just before that break, or can they harness that momentum again and really put up a good fight against this Hurricane team? Look, I think the Brumbies will put in a good showing here um, over the Canes, but expect, I think you should expect the Canes to get a win in Canberra. It's no longer the fortress that it used to be. The Brumbies do have a bit of the pressure off them at the moment, and they, as you said, Arch, they kind of were performing a bit better before this international window. But, yeah, I think the, the Hurricanes should be far too classy here. And it'd be good to see some of those young Brumbies guys um, get a bit more of a chance um, Lili Afano, I think, is going to be at 10, perhaps again. Mm. Um, that seemed to start to work for them. But yeah, it's just, I think, building for the future, as we talked about with the Brumbies. I would have to say that the like the Brumbies, I, I, I don't think they've got the attacking chops to beat the Hurricanes. The game looks a bit different if uh, Bowden Barrett remains out uh, with the head injury assessment. If, if Bowden Barrett's still out, then they in, bring in... Um, Who's the usual number 10 they chuck in there? Ohio West Redhead. or Garden Basham? Yeah, Ohio West. No, uh, not Garden Ohio- Basham. <laughs> I, I, I think we're a lot more um, a lot more comfortable if it was Ohio, Ohio West. Um, but, the, you know, you've still got all those Ben Lambs and Lamarpies and Geordie Barrett and just stupid amounts of talent out in the back line. The Brumbies mm. are going to have to defend really hard. Yeah, who knows? They could, they could probably do any of those. Yeah, then Milner um, Scott are 15. They put Ricky Ricatelli at 10, and they'd probably still beat the Brumbies. Uh, Artie, Sevier, Artie Sevier at 10. Artie Sevier at 10. Maybe it will happen. Set. It will happen. One day. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not um, too hopeful for the Brumbies. What I'd really like to see is a really good first half, strong defense, show that they can keep them out um, and frustrate them. And the only way they win this game is to, to um, I guess, put the fear of, an upset into the Hurricanes and hope they don't react well. But these New Zealand teams are so so mature; they often just bide their time and, and take their opportunities. So, Hurricanes for me in this one. Yeah, got to agree. It's hard hard to go against the Hurricanes anywhere in the world, really. Um, coming out of Singapore, their first game out of Singapore this year, the Sunwolves taking on the Bulls. Um, that's at nine fifty five on Saturday night. Yeah, another interesting game actually because the Sunwolves will have a lot of those 
guys coming back from the Japan national team and, and some of the combinations that have formed well in a couple of wins for them um, in the last few weeks. So I think it'll be probably a pretty close game. We've seen a few of these South African teams go over to Asia and play the Sunwolves, and it hasn't been as easy for them as, as maybe we thought it would be. The Bulls, though, probably a bit too physical for a Sunwolves team like this. Um, so I expect probably the Bulls to get on top of them early and maybe just run away with it. Um, the Sunwolves, though, always entertaining to watch. They throw the ball around. Um, and if they do get a bit, bit of momentum behind them, they could you know, get a win like they did against the Stormers. So I think it'll just be an interesting game. I'll probably tip the Bulls, though. Yeah, I think I'm probably the same. Um, the Sunwolves... I can't remember what their runoff the Super Rugby season, uh, sorry, the Super Rugby sort of pre pre June when Test window was, but they've had their two wins for the season. Are they going to get another one against the Bulls this week? I think the Bulls with guys like Andre Pollard and Creel, and they've got some pretty pretty talented guys there. Be coming in, still feeling probably pretty good from winning their Test series overall. Um, I think the Bulls have got the muscle and the skill for this one. Yeah, I think I think it does come down a little bit to Andre Pollard again. Like he leads, he leads. If he leads that team around anywhere near as well as he was leading the Springboks around, uh, they shouldn't have any issue, even against sort of the dynamite kicking and um, prowess of Hayden Parker and Nicky Little in that midfield. This is the one game preseason when we did our forecast. This is the game I tipped the Sunwolves to win. So maybe I'll eat my words. I think they've had their, their couple of wins for the year. I think that they were putting a couple of good performances together against the Reds and then the, the Stormers. Um, but, yeah, I don't think... Teams aren't going to be taking them for granted anymore, and that probably works against them. Mm. Next game, we have the Sharks um, playing the Lions down at Kings Park Stadium. The only sort of South African derby um, left, but the Sharks are really sort of still in that hunt for the playoff uh, playoff position, but... It, they really need to win a couple of games here at the end of the end of the season. Yeah, they've got to chase down the Rebels or the Haguaras, and they're they're six points off the Hags, and they Same. are also six points off the Rebels. So um, against the Lions, mate, if it's a if it's a game that's rainy and miserable like the last Springboks England game, then the Sharks might actually have the type of game to to beat out the Lions. They're playing at home and. Uh, coming up, they've got to play. They've got to play the Stormers at home the following week, and then they've got to play the Haguaras at home. So, yeah, that's they. They probably can't really bank any of these games. They're going to have to play for a play for a win and throw it around. And who knows what the Lions will bring? It are they? They've still got a fair few injuries that guys that weren't involved with the Springboks just had injury layoffs. So, uh, for this one, I might tip the Sharks. I think I took the Sharks in this one. Give them, give them the backing. See if they can get motivated. Yeah, give me the Sharks as well. Um, I think the backline of the Sharks is going to be the difference here. The Lions' backline hasn't been firing on all cylinders lately. I don't think Yanchis would be particularly happy with his performance for that South Africa on the weekend. And I don't think that's going to help his confidence. Robert Dupree is kind of waiting in the wings for his opportunity, perhaps with the box. Um, and I think he should probably be backing up Andre Pollard. Um, but with guys like Robert Dupree, Esther Hazen, um, Nikozzi, Kerwin Bosch, it's a pretty electric backline. Throw in Vovo or Mapimpi as well. And then you got some big forwards like the Dupree brothers. Um, and then, yeah, like great hooker, great front row, couple of solid locks in there as well for the Sharks. So I think if there was just playing in Joburg, it would be, I think, even tougher to pick. But I think down at sea level here in, in Durban, I think the Sharks will be a little bit more desperate for the win. And I think that will help them. I think they'll get it. See, those all sound like really good arguments, but it always seems like when you don't expect the Lions to do well, when you think they're going to have an off week, this is when they do suddenly stand up and they suddenly put it together and look like their old selves. So I, th- I think the Lions will probably come out firing and likely, the fact is, unlike previous times, they haven't really had as many sort of disruptions in people um, on international test duty as previous. Um, so I'm going to take the Lions here. I think I think they might be able to pull 
pull out the win and well not even pull out the win they should comfortably win I reckon Leo's putting up the forecast for Durban for this Saturday which is sunny and clear so does that change what you think no it's just it just makes it more competitive it's good I don't want to see a dour affair <laughs> just curious the curious what the forecast was like it's it would have impacted um, my tip last week as well I think if I'd known it was going to be heavily raining it probably would have given England a bit more of a of a go but it's interesting no, it's... the the Lions don't have a whole lot of guys in the spring box if you think about it they're kind of limited Deanti, Yanchis um, most of there's not a whole lot of other guys Ori there. Is in the squad the but yeah that's about it yeah you take I mean when Malcolm Marks and um, Warren Whiteley aren't there They'd definitely be in the spring box. I think that really changes the team. And even though they've been getting a few more wins lately, I just think the Sharks at the moment are a more complete team. And as long as they can keep their heads, um, I think I think they'll do it. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Final game of the round, um, the Haguaros versus Stormers over in South America. And look, the Hags, they're on form. Like, they're, they've won six in a row, but... No, I don't know. With the the Sex Panthers, may not be up to standard. Having the Sex Pumas having such a terrible time in the last sort of couple of weeks. So, does that mean the Haguares can come back to Super Rugby? Does it get a bit simpler here? Do things go to a bit more straightforward? Does Ledesma get them sort of refocused against a Stormers team that are very beatable in my eyes? Mm-hmm. Look, I, I've. I love the Sex Panthers. I think they probably can come back to it. Hopefully, they can just put the last couple of weeks out of their head, try and pull on that orange jersey, and realize that no, nah, this this isn't this isn't international duty. Let's go out there. Let's have some fun. Let's put some points on. I reckon the Sex Panthers will once again be victorious. I'm going to call it by ten to twelve points. I think. Yeah, they um. They, this is their last home game too, so. It's important that they secure some points at some point in the next three games. The Storm is away from home. You've got to think that's their best opportunity compared to going to see the Sharks and the Bulls. So uh, I, I think I think the Haguaris can do this too. They've had the same group of guys in amongst the internationals and for them to come back from playing you know, the, now the third best and the what is it, the seventh best team in the world or something, mm-hmm. and they're going to play the Stormers who travel poorly. I, they've, they've got to be a tip, but um, it's just it's just whether they can put put the disappointment of the internationals behind them and recognise that if they keep doing all the good things they had been doing into the internationals, they should have the have the wood on this South African side. Yeah, I think it, it's it's hard not to make a correlation with how the Hags are going to play compared to the Pumas, just because of the there's so many guys there that cross over. But in saying that, I think they've got to break this streak. The the Pumas played poorly, but I think this is actually going to motivate them when they come back to Super Rugby. And the Stormers, like you said, Leo, they travel poorly. They haven't actually had a an away win at all this season. So they hadn't they haven't even had a win for the say I think since may 5th so it's about coming up about two months since they've they've even won a game um after a, a string of losses i think against the the sun wolves and then um the lions i think but mm-hmm. yeah i think it's it's a tough one to call just because of the the puma's performance but i'm going to go with you guys i think the jaguares should win this game um and hopefully win it well they need to score some points like they're capable of doing i don't think the stormers will well, they just don't have enough talent there. They don't have the the form this year, and I, I think traveling to South South America is going to be too much for them. Well, that's that's all that round seventeen is going to have for us. And I've got to say, it's it's going to be nice to sit down and watch a little bit of Super Rugby again. Uh, I do love it. Look, Wallabies is is great to watch, but a little bit disappointing this season. And it's only one game to look forward to a week. Much prefer to have a have a bunch to sit down. Um, I do want to thank some of our loyal listeners because this week we did actually hit 3,000 downloads in total so thanks everyone that's been having a look whether it be friends family or just um, general fans public we enjoy doing this and it's great to see that some other people are having a listen and maybe taking a little bit of enjoyment out of it as well 
Yeah, thanks everyone. Appreciate the support, and uh, hopefully we can get better and getting into the finals will bring a whole lot of uh, extra content for for you to enjoy your your Super Rugby before the Rugby Championship. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of good stuff to come. Obviously, with the really going to ramp up into the finals, and then obviously with the Bledisloe, I think it'll be a real focus this year. And then look, there's plenty to look forward to next year as well, and hopefully we can keep that going into the World Cup. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Until then, guys, as always, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Running Rugby Podcast. Check us out. Let your friends know. Recommend us. Subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a review. We appreciate everything that uh, you guys put down to us or send through to us. Enjoy getting back into Super Rugby this weekend. I know I will. We'll be back next week to review all those games and you know, look towards the playoffs. They're only a couple of weeks away, guys. But until then, let's keep on moving. Let's keep on running. Run.